Morning, everyone. We're out here today for a, a wonderful day of baptism, and it's a really special occasion. But what is baptism about? Why is a baptism such a special event? Baptism isn't just a rite of passage. You know, a rite of passage like having a 21st birthday or, or an 18th birthday party. Uh, nor is it a physiological stage of life, so it's not like childbirth or stepping up to being a toddler or going through puberty or hitting menopause or, if you're like me, reaching dementia. Um, so it's not like that. Uh, baptism isn't an academic graduation. So it's not like finishing kindy and stepping up to primary school or finishing high school and heading off to university or up, you're into the workforce, right? So it's not like we're graduating from, from Sunday school to church or anything like that. And it's not a physical achievement that, that we achieve because of the effort and everything that we've put into it, right? So it's not like gaining a life-saving certificate or, or being chosen to represent the South West or breaking grade in a pistol shooting comp. It's not like any of that. And baptism isn't something that we have done to us to inoculate us from hell, all right? So it's, it's not like having a triple antigen to protect us from diphtheria, tetanus and whooping cough and, or, or, or a needle to protect us from Q fever, right? It's not some kind of insurance policy against hell. So what is baptism about? Why is it such an important event for those who are being baptised and, and why is it a special event for us as a church? Well... Baptism is a physical representation of what God has done and is doing in our hearts. When somebody becomes a Christian, when that person decides to follow Jesus as his disciple, this is not something that they just do off their own bat. This is a response to what God is already doing in their heart. Now, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right? And so a baptism really has two parts to it. There's what we do, that's the getting wet part, but that's only a response to what God is already doing. And for this reason, people who, find them, who think of themselves as being the most unlikely candidates can find themselves feeling the need to be baptised. Because sure enough, God does call people who have been brought up in Christian families. And there's going to be people today who are baptised, that, that, that are being brought up, have, have been brought up in Christian families. But he also draws people who haven't come from any sort of church background at all. He draws people who, who would never think of themselves as being godly people or, or being the least little bit religious. The Lord draws people of all sorts and all kinds and of all backgrounds. And for these candidates today, today is a public declaration of their faith. They are standing here today to publicly demonstrate what God has already been doing in their hearts. It's a public declaration that they have made a commitment to follow Jesus. Right, now at this point, I want to turn to the Bible reading. Um, we've just begun this new series in, Re in the book of Revelation. Uh, now, the book of Revelation can be a very difficult book at, place, at parts of it, 
to understand. But I don't think we're going to have too much difficulty with today's reading. We're just going to be taking five verses from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. And I'll read that to you now. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. When we commit to being disciples of Jesus, we become a part of something which is far, far greater than ourselves. We become a part of the kingdom of God. More than that, we become priests. Are there any priests here today? Yep, I want to see more hands than that. If you're a Christian, you're a priest. Now, we might sort of go, oh, no, no, that's the fellow who's up the front. But no, this is the whole thing. The priests in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones who served God. And if you're a Christian, God has called you to serve him. So God has made you a priest. Now, we all know that priests have to be holy, hey? Yeah? I failed. But, but don't, don't, don't follow my example. Follow Jesus' example. Is there anybody here who's holy? I hope so. Because if you're a Christian, God has made you holy. And that's why you can be a kingdom of priests. Now, but when we become a Christian, we become something, a, a part of something which is far, far greater than ourselves. The Lord our God is eternal and he is all-powerful. We don't need to ask, where did God come from? Because he has always been. We don't need to ask, I wonder what's going to become of God? Because nothing's going to become of him. He already is and he will forever be. And we don't need to ask, is God absent? Is God, has God left me? Because no, he, he hasn't left you. He's not absent. He is forever present and he is forever vigilant. And the Lord is all powerful. We're told here that all of the kings of the earth will bow before him. Now, we, we probably don't really relate to that so much anymore. Because back in this day, kings had absolute power. They had absolute authority. But even likes of the kings and queens today, most of them are just a constitutional monarchy. And we talked about this a few months ago. And they, they don't have the power that they used to be. But I sort of started looking. I, th- I looked up. I thought, OK, I wonder who the world's most powerful people are today. And so I looked it up and, at the, and the Forbes list of the world's most powerful people. And it goes like this. Who wants to guess who the Forbes list says is number one, the most powerful person in the world? The President of America? 
Anybody agree? Wrong. Donald Trump is listed as number two, the second most powerful person in the world. You know who they've got listed as number one? Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. And, you know, we sort of think, yeah, the president of the United States, he has so much power and so much authority. But how much does he really have? He, he's just got elected on all of these promises. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And he says, right, we're going to put this into place. And, and the Congress says, no, you can't do that. Oh, we're going to put this into place. And the High Court says, no, you can't. Right? He doesn't have the absolute power. And that's why they put Vladimir Putin as number one. Donald Trump, number two. And guess is at number three? Angela Merkel, the, the, the Chancellor of Germany. Number four, Xi Jinping, the General Secretary of the Communist Party of China. Number five might surprise a few of you. Who wants to guess at number five? It's left field. Pope Francis. Uh, the, um, the Pope, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Forbes lists him as the fifth most powerful person in the world. Uh, number six, Jeanette Yellen. Uh, the uh, chair of the US Federal Reserve. And then we get to number seven, we start getting to some private individuals because they're rich. Bill Gates is classed as the seventh most powerful person. Bill Gates is the founder of Microsoft and the co-chair of the Gates Foundation. Now, the Gates Foundation is so wealthy, it can affect the fate of small nations uh, with whether it contributes or doesn't contribute. And now we get to number eight, and this is something which is totally new. Somebody in control of information gets listed as being powerful. We've got Larry Page. Does anyone know who Larry Page is? What? No, not Twitter. Google. Who said Google? Is that you, Schultze? Yep, Larry Page, the co-founder of Google. Um, they, information is so, holds so much power. And that really surprised me because he's more powerful than number nine, which is Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India. Now, India has control of nuclear weapons. And that person is leading 1,250,000. Right? So if you're talking in, in US numbers, you'd say 1.25 billion people is number nine. And number 10, we're back into the internet again, Mark Zuckerberg, the co-founder of Facebook. These people have so much power and so much influence that according to Forbes, they are the 10 most powerful people in the world. Which of them do you suppose would be able to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as his equal when Jesus returns? Not a one. Not a one. Every single one of them, along with you and I, will bow. Either in adoring reverence or in cringing fear, we will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when Jesus returns, that's going to be a great day. It's going to be a day of celebration. But not everybody's going to be so happy about it. Verse 7 says... Behold. Now, that just means look, right? Look, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. That wouldn't have been great if right on cue, 
we've got all these clouds here. If right on cue, Jesus just bushka and it was back. That would have just been the best effect ever, wouldn't it? Dope. And I finished writing my sermon at that point, hoping that he would. No, <laughs> no, it still comes. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. If anybody ever tries to tell you that Jesus has already come back, don't you believe it for a minute? I hear some different groups and sects talking about how, how Jesus has secretly come back and then he's gone again and then he's going to come back again. Rubbish. The Bible tells us here that you're not going to miss it. Every eye will see him. You will see him. When Jesus returns to this earth, you're not going to have to take my word for it or anybody else's word for it because we're all going to have a front row seat. It's going to be a global event that cannot be missed. But it says here that when this happens... All tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Now, the New Testament and the, and the, the book of Revelation was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word used there for wail is kopsontai. And this is talking, it, it's like the wail of grief that you might hear at a funeral. All right. I think I've told you about this before, but I'll tell you again. It, the, m the first time that I ever came face to face with utter grief was when our minister at Dolby died. He just, he was a reasonably, I used to think he was old, but compared to me, he's probably young. Um, now that I'm getting older, he was probably about my age. And he just dropped dead. And that afternoon we went to visit his widow and we've just encountered raw grief. Somebody who just sobbed and, and would just fall to the floor in utter sobbing grief. I, I'd never seen that before. And I'm never going to forget it. Now that's the sort of grief that people are going to feel when Jesus returns. Did you know that? Have you ever read that in the Bible? It's there. Why? Why this bitter sadness? If God is so loving and if God is so wonderful and if we are looking so forward so much to Jesus returning, why is there going to be people from every nation and from every shire even mourning, wailing? Why will they howl in sorrow because Jesus has come? I'll tell you why. What we choose to do with Jesus in this lifetime will determine how we feel about him returning. The disciples of Jesus will be filled with this immense joy because Jesus is our life. He is our purpose. We live for him. We've been living our whole lives for this moment. We've just been waiting for Jesus to come. He is our salvation. Yes, he has saved us, but our final salvation is when Jesus returns and we're just looking forward to this so much. But those who reject Jesus in this lifetime will be faced with the stark reality. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I've made a very bad life decision. The consequences of which are catastrophic. 
because to them, Jesus won't be coming as their saviour. He'll be coming as their judge. And this is the thing that we have to realise. The first time that Jesus came, he came as saviour. When he comes a second time, he'll be coming as judge. And as we study the book of Revelation, we're going to be learning more and more about this. We're going to be discovering an unfolding story of how God does everything in his power to shake us and to get our attention and to get us ready, to get us to turn to him so so that while there's still time that we would turn our hearts towards him and be saved. But despite everything that God does, the sad reality is that Christians will always remain in the minority. Most people on this earth will reject God and many will curse him. And this makes me ask the question, why does God even bother? Why does God even want us to repent? Why does God even want us to turn to him and to receive him as Lord? It's very simple, really. Love. I, as a father, I desperately want my children to love me. Why? Because I love them. I want my children to be... (laughs) Jake's grinning over there. He just loves being used as an example. Yep. I just want my children to be in a loving relationship with me. I want them to love me as much as what I love them. But I can't make them love me. And God's the same. Our Heavenly Father desperately, desperately wants us to love him. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants us to love him back. And he loves us so much. But no matter what God does, he cannot make us love him. Verse 5 is talking about Jesus and it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that Jesus loves us? Well, that's what the cross is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is about being enveloped in the love of God. It's about being drawn into the reality that Christ died for us as an act of love. Let's move on. Now it also says there, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now, without Jesus in our lives, there is something that destroys any possibility of us having this loving relationship with God. It's this thing called sin. For us to be right with sin means that our sin has to be dealt with. And in baptism, we have a demonstration of how that happens. Jesus has told us that to be saved, 
we have to repent of our sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be baptized into the name of Jesus. Right? That's the three things. That's, that's what we have to do to be saved. Repent of our sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be baptized in the name, into the name of Jesus. Now, I'm just going to talk about those three things. What does it mean to repent? Now, I've, we've talked at length about this with, with these people who are being baptized today. What does it mean to repent? It means to agree with God that some of what I've done, um, not everything that you've done, but some of what you've done, and in my case, much of what I've done, is a rejection of God and a rejection of his ways. That's what sin is. You know, we, most of us tend to think that sin is the naughty stuff that we've done, right? And that's what we've probably been taught for a long time. But it's not so much the naughty stuff that we've done. Sin is our rejection of God. The symptom of that sin is doing naughty stuff. Okay, you see the relationship here? So even if I feel, well, I'm a pretty good bloke, I don't do too much wrong, everything's good with me, uh, so therefore I don't need God, well, that in itself is sin. If I believe that I don't need God, that's rejecting God. That's sin no matter how good my behavior might have been. Now, the Bible tells us no one is righteous. Not one. Is anybody here going to try and dispute that? Because there's plenty of people here who will tell you, no, you're wrong. No one is righteous. Not one. And so the scriptures tell us quite truthfully that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they also tell us that the wages of sin are death. Now, what that means is if I have ever done anything at all wrong. Now, I'm sure you all think, no, Michael wouldn't have ever done that. Well, you don't know me. Ask my wife and my children and they'll certainly say, oh, well, actually, um, he's done plenty wrong. But if you've ever done anything wrong or if you have ever rejected God at all, that is sin. And sin the punishment for sin is death. Now, a lot of people say, but Michael, that's not fair. That's not fair. They might say, I'm good most of the time. And you might say to them, I might say, well, well how many of the Ten Commandments have you kept? And say, oh, but at least seven of them. Yeah, well, okay, but of course, when you explore it, they've sort of kept nearly none of them. But they might say, but most of the time I do good things. It's not fair that, that God would punish me for the few wrong things that I've done. But you see, if God just lets us off, that wouldn't be just. Imagine if somebody was on trial before a judge and they were to say, Your Honour, I've only ever stolen from that one purse. I drive past hundreds of houses every day and I never walked into those houses and stole out of those ones. I only went into the one house and stole money out of the one purse. What about all of the good things that I do? Now, what's the judge going to say to, to an excuse like that? Oh, I'm sorry. We are so lucky to have you in our community. All of those good things that you've done, of course we'll let you off for stealing from that one purse. Now, if the judge made that ruling, what would you think of that judge? You would say, he's not just. 
because crime must be punished. And we have all sinned, and the justice of God demands that all who sin be punished. Now, that leaves us with a bit of a problem, because we've just said that everybody sins. So is everybody accepting that? You've all sinned, right? And we've just heard that sin should be punished by what? Death, right? So, sorry folks, I've got you all out here for a baptismal service, but we're going to have a good old hanging. <laughs> what, would you, what would you think of that? So, we're in a bit of a predicament here. What do we do, or what does God, what mechanism has God given us so that we can be saved? Well, first of all, we repent. We repent of our ongoing rejection of God and we repent of our wrongdoing. That means we turn. We turn from our old self-centered life where it's all about us and we turn to a new God-centered life where, where it's all about God. Where it's a Christ-centered life where we begin to do things His way. And when in true repentance we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. Now, this is something that I have made really clear to these people today who are being baptized. Um, one child one time said, repentance is being sorry enough to stop. Saying sorry, oh, I'm sorry, God, that I did those things and, and asking for forgiveness doesn't cut it. It must be repentance. And repentance means a total change of mind. I now change what I believe about God. I used to think that it didn't matter what I thought about God, but now I know that God has to be number one in my life. I used to think that doing this thing was okay, but I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I am repenting of that activity. That's what repentance is. And when we repent and confess our sins to God, he forgives us. The second thing is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we just need to believe that he exists. It doesn't even mean that we just need to believe uh, that he died on the cross to save us. We need to believe in him. Now, kids, I've brought along a rope here to demonstrate what I mean, what it means to believe in Jesus, okay? Is this the prettiest rope you've ever seen? Hey, it's not. Who reckons they've got a prettier rope than that one? Oh, you do. Oh, oh I thought it was pretty. I reckon it's beautiful. It's, it's not even pink. It's sort of a purpley. What colour do you call that, Mrs. B? Purple? Maroon? Maroon? Purpley maroony colour? This rope is a climbing rope. Okay. Do you know what a climbing rope's used for? Climbing for climbing mountains, that's right. The last time I, I use it for when I was climbing cliffs, right? And the last time I used this rope, I dislocated my shoulder. So I haven't done it for a long time, okay? Now, this rope, it is a very strong rope. Very, very strong. And when I bought it, it had a tag on it, which told me how strong it was. 
And it's a cli- being a climbing rope, there's two very special things about it. First of all, it's what's called a dynamic rope, which means it has a stretch in it. When I grab hold of this and pull, can I stretch it? No, I can't because I'm not strong enough. But it's rated for a certain number of falls of a certain distance. Now, I can't remember what it is because the tag is long gone. But basically, I could be, if this whole rope was, slap, was played out and it was up the cliff and I had five metres of rope dangling below me and I was to fall, I would fall 10 metres. The five metres of the loose rope and the five metres down below, right? Imagine how much that would hurt when you got to the end of that rope. But it has stretch in it. And so when it jams, it actually gives. And so instead of snapping your spine, it gives a bit of stretch and it doesn't break. Even somebody as heavy as me, it won't break. All right? Now, I've just told you that about this rope. And do do you believe it? Do you believe that about this rope? I see a few noddings of the head. Now, you can believe that about the rope. But is that believing in the rope? No. No. Believing in the rope is if you're actually on the side of the cliff and go, well, I can't go any further up this cliff. I'm just going to have to let the rope catch me and fall back onto the rope and let that rope take it, take it up. That's believing in the rope, okay? Trusting in the rope, putting your weight onto it, letting it catch you, even though you fall a few metres before it catches you, knowing that it's not going to break your back and knowing that it's not going to break and drop you to the bottom of the cliff. That's the difference between believing about the rope and believing in the rope. And that's what it comes to with believing in Jesus. You can believe about Jesus. You can believe that Jesus exists. You can believe that Jesus died for your sins. That's fine. The devil believes that. But does that save the devil? No, it doesn't. Because we have to believe in Jesus. We have to trust Jesus with our whole life. To believe in Jesus means he becomes the most important thing, the most important person in our whole life. In fact, we begin to live for him. And this is what it means to believe in Jesus. Because of my sin, I deserve to be punished. Our God is a just God and he can't just let me off. And so Jesus died in our place. The perfect man died for the imperfect. The sinless man died for the sinful. The holy man died for the unholy. He took our punishment that we deserve upon himself when he died on the cross. Now, we can believe about that, or we can believe in Jesus. And that means to trust him with our whole life, to trust him with our eternity, and to trust him with our present. To become a Christian is a major life-changing event. It's as if our old self is put to death, and a new self is born. 
Our old self, that old man who once used to reject God, or that old woman, or that old boy, or that old girl, the person who we once used to be, that's not who we are anymore. That person has died. And now we have a new life. Because we're not believing about Jesus, we're believing in Jesus. And this is such a radical transformation that when Jesus talked about it, he described it like this. He said, you must be born again. You know, I've I've heard it said several times by people, I don't mind those Christians so much, but those born again Christians, oh, I I can't put up with them. They're always going on about Jesus and always, you know, they just don't shut up. And, And whenever somebody ever says that to me, it just really amuses me. I get a bit of a giggle out of it because, well, hey, as far as God's concerned, there's no such thing as a Christian who's not born again. Right? There, there might be those who might mess around the edges of Christianity a little bit. There might be those who, who live a bit of a Christianized sort of a life. They might even go to church. But unless they take this radical step of submitting to Jesus as their Lord, they're not born again. And therefore they're not saved. Which brings us to baptism. Baptism is a physical demonstration of this spiritual rebirth. When we go down under the water, it actually is like the execution, right? When we go down under the water, it's like our old self is dead and buried. That old self that once used to reject God is dead. That old self that used to work in in self-interest is dead. That old self that had no problem with breaking God's laws, that old self of self-righteousness is dead. We are buried with Christ as we go under the water. We're buried with Christ in his death. But then when we come up out of the water and um, kids, if, if, I, if when we're baptising the people, I forget that step, you'll remind me, hey, we, like we put them down under the water, but it's important that we bring them back up out of the water. And you'll go, and if I forget, you'll go, Mr. B, Mr. B, remember, you got to bring them up again. Okay, you remember that? Why is it important? Yes, yeah, so they can breathe. But, but it's also important because this, we're not just putting to death our old self, We're also rising to to a new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's not in that tomb any longer. And now Jesus lives forever. And when we come up out of that water, we are rising to our new life, a renewed life, a Christ-centered life, eternal life with Christ Jesus. The Bible reading this morning said that he has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. We have a new king, King Jesus, and we are free from our sins. We are now holy. There's nothing at all to hinder the perfect loving relationship that should be between God and us. There's what God does. And there's what we do. What is God doing in your heart today? You may, be, may have never thought that, that this would be happening to you, but here you are today 
And the Lord is drawing you to Jesus to be born again. And if you feel that God is doing that in your heart, don't work against him. If the Lord is saying to you, today's the day, you listen to God. Repent of our sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized into the name of Jesus. Let's pray. And if you feel that the Lord has been talking to you today, you can make this same prayer your prayer. So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I am so sorry. In so many ways, for so much of my life, I have rejected you. The wrong that I've done, my evil thoughts, my evil words, are all an expression of the sin that lives within me. Oh God, forgive me. I don't want to be what I was. I desire to be a new man, a new woman. I I, I repent of my sin. I turn from being who I was to being who you want me to be. I turn from doing what I did to committing to do what you would lead me to do. I turn from trusting in myself to trusting in you. I believe in you, Lord. By your power, I desire to be born again, a fresh start, a new life, freed from my sins by your blood. And I thank you, Lord, for your saving grace, something that I didn't deserve, but a gift you've given to me because you love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And if... If you've prayed that prayer today um, and God has touched you today, come and talk to me. Uh, This is a very important thing in your life. And you may even want to be baptized today. Amen.